several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly grape encounter And if you are a regular listener to the show You must know about my trip to Bordeaux a couple of months ago What an amazing trip, had an amazing time But I really didn't get a chance to talk about Some of the amazing people that were on the trip with me There are two guys in particular And if you are a wine lover You absolutely, positively have to know their names Because they are writers uh, not only for Wine Enthusiast magazine Actually, they're entertainment and lifestyle editors For Wine Enthusiast magazine They have appeared on an abundant number of TV shows They write for a lot of different publications They are the world wine guys It is Mike DeSimone and uh, Jeff Jensen Jeff, uh, first of all, I, I've been talking to Mike this week, but I, I hadn't had a chance to talk to you, so it's pretty exciting to have you on the show. Well, thanks, David. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I didn't mention in the intro the fact that you guys are the authors of quite a number of books, and we're not just talking about everyday wine book. We're talking about wine books that have won some amazing awards, including the Gourmand International Award for Best Wine Book. How many have you actually written now? I think There's a bunch. Yeah, we actually, you know, we've written a total of five books since 2012, which actually averages out to one a year, and we're not quite sure how we did that. I'm not sure, yeah. Um, but uh, our first book was called The Fire Island Cookbook, which is an entertaining dinner party cookbook. Shortly after that, same year, Wines of the Southern Hemisphere came out. That won the Gourmand International Award for Best Wine Book in the USA in 2012. We then wrote a book called Wines of California, right. which did so well that the publisher reissued it. We had asked for it to be done in color with photos, and they just did a black and white labels originally. And then um, when they went to a second printing, it came out, at, um, and it's called Wines of California Deluxe, which is a four-color coffee table edition of that with photos. And then we just wrote Red Wine. Red Wine came out in October this time because it was just such a comprehensive subject. Our publisher paired us up with another one of their amazing writers, Kevin Zrally. Everyone knows has written the Windows on the World Complete Wine Course, which I think is now in its 30th year, 31st perhaps. And together, the three of us with the book Red Wine also just won the Gourmand International Award for Best Wine Book 2017. So we are very excited about So that. tell me about the first time that you won the Gourmand Award. We were kind of new as authors and you know we were kind of shell-shocked and we had so many other things going on you know in our professional life that we were obviously very very happy about it and, and, and honored but this time 
we're hoping that the book, you know, you win best in the USA, and then you go to the uh, international competition to win best wine book in the world. So we are going to the uh, event in China this year in May, and we are hoping that maybe Red Wine could win the best wine book in the world. We're very, very honored to win best in the USA to be best in the world. I mean, there's, um, I think there's about 200 countries that enter books from around the world. I guess it's kind of like winning Miss America. Now we're hoping on going to Miss Universe, you know, that's or Miss World. So it, it's all good. Which is much better than going to misinformation. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would. There's there's enough of that going on in the world. We don't we don't need to be part of that. Now. Or Miss Congeniality. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, let's talk a little bit about the trip because I've had one interesting experience about this particular trip, and people often say to me, man, you are so lucky to have that job. What a yeah. great gig that is. But we I, are, we are. Well, you know what I think? Sometimes people don't understand that when we're out gathering information to send to them, to, to, right. to distribute to them, that we are running our butts off. We are. And, you know, and, and I think that, that yeah, the, the thing is, it sounds like we're on a vacation. Yeah, it does. But we're, act- but we're actually working. I think, if I recall correctly, I think our busiest days, I think we saw five or even six wineries. We were in Bordeaux, spent a lot of time between the two rivers in Entre du Mer, visiting Bordeaux and Bordeaux Superior properties. And first of all, I think we have to clarify, when we say that we're visiting Bordeaux, as much as, you know, we would love to be drinking Chateau Margaux and Chateau Aubryon and Cheval Blanc, those people actually, you know, they don't need to do any more to get the word out about what great yeah. wines they are. And I think it's important for people to realize that we were actually, you know, visiting, for the most part, the lower price Bordeaux houses. There's a lot of wonderful wine from Bordeaux that in the U.S. market falls into like the, you know, the 15 to 20, at the top end, the $25 range. They're blends of Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon generally, of course, with the other Bordeaux varieties blended in. But these are wines that, you know, people are scared of them sometimes because they just think, oh my God, if those other Bordeaux wines are $500 or or $3,000 a bottle, this one for 20 must not be so good. So, you know what we were doing was getting there to really to learn about them and to come back and to help spread the word. I just want to say that there are some amazing wines in that 20 to 25 dollar range that drink like wines that might cost 100 but we also did visit two chateau chateau pabus and chateau Rignac, and their wines were closer to the 50 or 60 dollar mark per bottle and in my opinion those wines drink like some of the 600 dollar bordeaux so we had value all around and in all price points these wineries that we visited many of them are just a stone's throw away from the wineries that do command the high prices. Right. And a lot of it is just about, do you think, marketing? Sure, it, 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 sure. You know, I, you know I, th- I think, honestly, a lot of it goes back to the, you know, the 1855 Bordeaux classification, which was ordered, actually... By Napoleon, Napoleon Yeah, right? by... I think it was... No, I, th- I don't think it was Napoleon Napoleon. I think it was, like, Emperor Napoleon. One oh, of like the other ne- Napoleon. Yeah, the other. Nephew, yeah. grandson, whatever. Whoever there was. He was Napoleon the... He was Napoleon the pastry chef. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. But, you know, they were basically for a, um, you know, for the Paris Wine Expo, they were trying to come up with the list of the best Bordeaux wines, and they drew up a classification system which listed all of the best wines in Bordeaux, but what it had to do with was the prices that they were getting in 1855. Correct. Now, certainly those were probably the best wines in the world at the time. They are all still among the best wines in the world, but in the meantime, there are many, many other people in the very same region, their neighbors who right. were 
are not making wine at the time or we're not fetching a high price or we're just simply overlooked or, you know, or whatever, who are now making wines that, you know, they, they basically have to compete with each other and they also have to compete with this amazing marketing juggernaut that goes back over 150 years in the region. And in fact, it goes back beyond that because there was a, there was a treaty from the 15th century that limited the export of wines from other areas in, in France to England, and it and it let the wines of Bordeaux leave the port duty-free. So, you know, so they've had 500 years of marketing. Yeah, good PR back there. So what's astonishing to me is this. You could take some of the great winemaking concerns here in California where we're at. And by the way, I didn't I didn't even mention the fact that you guys are in Manhattan right now. That's uh, where yes. you live, where, yeah. you, where you hail from. Um, and uh, by, by the way, guys, I got to just stop for a second. I got to turn the air conditioning down. It is so hot here. I oh, have just got to, I got to, I got to turn, <laughs> rub it in. I got to turn down the air. You know, in California, relatively young wine region, I don't think Americans really appreciate that, but in the grand scheme of things, there are plenty of thousand dollar bottles of wine here that are made sure. here. Why do you think it is that the prices of these small winemakers have been so suppressed? It's all about the market. Let's be honest. These people who had this 1855 classification certainly were very lucky, you know, but think about the, because it was basically based on price alone. So think about the poor guy, you know, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Claude, or, you know, Marie Antoinette, whoever, decided to price their wine a little bit less expensive to sell more. That's somebody who was knocked out of this classification because their wines were too cheap. You really have to work this balance between price to quality ratio. When you can buy, you know, a bottle like, like a Chateau Pabus, for example, that's $60, and drinks like a $600, you know, Bordeaux, that, that's an amazing bargain. But if, you know, you're somebody who has 15 or 20 to spend on a bottle. You know, you want to buy another bottle that's going to drink like a $100 bottle, and that's the price-to-quality ratio, and California is the same. It's all about marketing. It's all about price-to-quality ratio, and then, like yourself, and as as we are journalists, you know, we're looking for those best deals to report to our listeners or, right. or our readers, and that's that's our job. You know, that's our journalistic integrity. I wanted to make one comment about what Jeff said, though, a minute ago, which is the fact that the winemakers in France, many of them, for having lower prices and doing a good thing got penalized. But in America, if you're Costco and you still sell stuff cheap, you're Walmart and you sell stuff cheap, you get rewarded. It's yeah, a, yeah. A, a very different world. We're talking to Mike DeSimone and Jeff Jensen, the world wine guys, two really terrific guys. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. 
Hey, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I am so glad to have on the line with me today two of the funniest guys in the wine business, but also two of the smartest guys in the wine business. They are the world wine guys. And we were talking about our trip to Bordeaux and what an amazing time we had. But Jeff, you were talking about the fact that we get up pretty early in the morning on these trips, kind of want to, after a day of drinking an immense amount of wine, even though we spit a lot, you want to sleep in a little bit, but you're, you know, you're out of bed by 6, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, grab a quick breakfast, and then it's just... Just one winery after another after another. And then they're feeding you all along the way. And you feel like you want to have a Goodyear blimp logo <laughs> slapped on your belly. You know, you've got to file your stories. And it's kind of rough sometimes. You get back to your room, sometimes not until close to midnight. And then the real trick is finding an internet connection to get your files off and uh, into circulation so that the world of wine lovers can actually benefit from all of the hard work and sacrifices that we make along the way. That's right. All right, let's... Uh, Let's jump into, a, and by the way, I'm not complaining. It's the best gig in the world. You know, nobody's buying this uh, poor me thing, right? No, no. no I, I was. I was feeling bad for you, actually. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it was a terrific trip, and they always are. And one of the things, when you get to meet just tons of winemakers, the one thing you learn really quickly is there's some of the coolest people in the world. People who get into wine have a passion for life. Yes, they yeah. do. You know, wine is, is filled with passion. Winemakers are very passionate. You know, wine, if you think about wine and the way, you know, the way we enjoy it, well, you shouldn't. I was going to say, you never just drink a glass of wine leaning over the sink like you might, a, you know, a peach or a sandwich as you're heading out of the house. You know, wine, you open a bottle with someone you love or with friends or with colleagues, and you sit down and you enjoy it. And there's a real sense of conviviality and sharing around a bottle of wine. And when we visit wineries, people are, you know, they're, yes, certainly, they're, you know, they're trying to get the word about, out about their winery, but especially in Bordeaux, where many of the wineries do not have, you know, professional, open-to-the-public tasting rooms, people actually welcome you into their home. They do, And yeah. you sit around their hearth. You sit by their fireplace, and you enjoy wine, and, and you talk about life, and you talk about how much you're enjoying that wine at that moment, and it really is a very special thing. Do you sometimes have the urge just to stop talking about the tasting notes of the wine in front of you and just let the wine be the catalyst for conversation, and does it sometimes irritate you that because people know that you're the world wine guys, that you know a lot about wine, they want to engage you in a technical conversation. Are there times where you just need to shut it off? We love wine, so we talk about wine all the time. And, you know, to talk about wine technically is for the good part of the conversation, but I do agree with you, David. Then there there comes this point where you just want to say, listen, let me just sit back and look at this fire and, and enjoy this glass of wine and just kind of chat about, okay, you know, where do you, do you go on vacation? You know, what do you like to do for fun? And just kind of move that conversation from business to personal. And that, Wine does that, you know, just as Mike said, that act of sitting down around a bottle of wine and sharing that bottle, it's a very nice and social thing. And, you know, yeah, you can talk about the wine, but there just comes a point where you just kind of go, hmm, this is good. You know, I don't want to think of any words to describe it. I don't want to think of blackberry, you know, black currant, dried cherries, you know, all, all the things that we talk about when we, you know, talk about wine. And, you know, I just want to just say, hmm. This is good. You know? I asked Michael Mondavi what it was like to be a Mondavi. Are there certain perks in life? And he says, well, there it's good news and bad news. He says, the good news is you can always get a table in a restaurant. The bad news is, is that undoubtedly somebody's going to come over and engage you in conversation yeah. <laughs> yeah. while you're trying to yeah. enjoy your dinner. All right, let's jump into Red Wine, the comprehensive guide to the 50 essential varieties and styles. First of all, obvious question, why 50? Why not? 
not. You know, <laughs> I, we, quite honestly, the fact that it came out to fifty is really it's a you know it's a publicist and a marketer's dream. But quite honestly, Jeff and Kevin and I sat down and went over the grapes that we thought were most important to cover. And in addition to the forty-three individual varieties, we also have seven what we call styles and blends. So things that people know that are a type of wine that aren't necessarily made just with one grape, like Rioja and Chianti and Bordeaux and Port. And it happened total 50. So um, so that's, so that's how that happened. Well, you know, 47 or 53 just doesn't sound as well, exciting. You know what? But we did have 51, but then we kicked out Merlot because of that movie. <laughs> no! Yeah. No! Say it isn't so! <laughs> no, it's, it's not true. It's not true. Just kidding. I'm being funny. Did you guys get any hate mail from any red varietals that were not included in the book that were irritated? Fortunately, wine AI is, has not um, kind of like gotten to the point where grapes themselves can send us hate mail, but um, right. we'll expect that down the road. You know, at this point, we haven't. We've gotten really, really wonderful reviews. We've been, em- you know, we've been embraced by the wine community very much. You know, a lot of people who are, you know, professional, besides the lifestyle people, a lot of professional wine writers and wine bloggers given high praise to the book. And even when somebody says, like, you know, why didn't you cover that, you know, this grape, there's always the, like, oh, actually, it's included in blend style. It's here. And we thought it's more important as a, in the blend than it was on its own. So You know, and conversely, David, we got a lot of people who were very, very happy that we did include grapes like Aguritico. You know, we got some uh, very nice emails and letters from, you know, handwritten letters, actually, from Greek winemakers. Thank you for including Aguritico and Zinomavro. The Croatians were ecstatic that we included Tehran. And the Bulgarians were, in, you know, ecstatic that we included Mavrud. The people from the smaller wine regions were very, very happy. You know, people who are making Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Pinot Noir, they expect their grapes to be included. And let's be honest, of course they're included because they're wonder- they, those grapes make wonderful wines. But what we wanted to show people is that there are other grapes out there that make amazing, amazing wines. And don't limit yourself. If, if you ask most listeners right now, name, name 10 grapes. You know, they're going to come up with Cabernet Sauvignon. They're going to come up with the, the Bordeaux varietals. They're going to come up with maybe, you know, Pinot Noir. They're going to come up with a couple other different ones. But most people, if you walk into a wine shop and you own a wonderful wine shop and wine bar, most people are going to drink those six or seven different varieties. And that said, we wanted to expand people's knowledge. We wanted our book to be fun, useful, but also as a reference. I mean, um, there's a couple of Psalms in California, um, I'm sorry, in Chicago that we know that actually use our book during the employee meeting, you know, the employee meal, and they talk about different grapes while people are eating just to educate their staff, their waiters and their their sommelier staff. So we're honored to hear that people are using our book as a reference to teach people who are working in the world of wine. We are talking to the world wine guys, two of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. I just loved spending seven days with you. It was tremendous. We had such a good time. A lot of fun. You know what? From the first minute till that the party on the last night, it was, oh, that was, was a, a fun pretty, party. That was a pretty amazing trip. That was really a good was. party. You know, we've got to talk about that party and I interviewed absolutely everybody at the party on my cell phone. Anyway, uh, and I want to thank you guys for letting me be the uh, co-pilot up front in the jump seat because I should, I don't deserve it because you guys have been on the Today Show and the Martha Stewart Show and every other uh, news channel and network in the world. You deserved the front seat. Well, thank you, but you know what? I was just tired of you stepping on my feet, so I... <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> oh, <there. laughs> 
We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this with our very special guest, the World Wine Guys, authors of Red Wine, the Comprehensive Guide to the 50 Essential Varieties and Styles. And I don't want to leave out another co-author, Kevin Zraeli, did a lot on this book as well. So uh, we should definitely credit him. We'll be back right after this. Grape Encounters is 100% estate-grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. David will be right back as soon as he's through unfriending anyone who doesn't love wine. Oh, I I guess it's going to be a very short break. Winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Imagine what it would be like to be two wine writers that literally have the opportunity to go any place in the world, taste the best wines in the world. They're wined, they're dined, they write about it, but they also live it. That's Mike DeSimone and Jeff Jensen, the world wine guys. You know what? I get to do the same thing, but certainly not to the extent that you guys do. You guys were on the phone, it seemed constantly during our Bordeaux trip, booking your next trips. I think you guys booked like 27 trips. I, I think you're, you're, making, you're actually making us sound like Michelle Roland in the back of the car and that what was that movie uh, Mondovini, uh, Mondovino yeah Mondovino where, yeah where they make him out to be a bad guy yeah you know David you're exaggerating it wasn't 27 it was 24 uh, <laughs> where did you go after the trip we actually have a house in the south of Spain that we use as our European base so you know a lot of times our work keeps us uh, in the US flying out to other places other times we're uh, working in Europe so we have a base in the south of Spain so so we went down there to lay on the beach. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, you were making us a little jealous before talking about the heat in California as we're freezing our toes off here in New York City. So yeah, we went to the south of Spain to lay on the beach. For so. a little bit, but then actually we went to, we were hosts of a couple of events at the Hawaii Food and Wine Festival in Honolulu. Oh um, no, the, so, the you, so you went to Hawaii too. We went to Hawaii the oh, first gosh. week of November. And actually we also host wine tastings on cruise ships. After that, from Hawaii, we flew to Singapore, and we actually did a cruise, and uh, we were on for about two weeks, and we went from Singapore through Indonesia and into northern Australia to Brisbane and Cairns, and then we got back to New York just in time for Thanksgiving, God, I and think, also I, to start uh, promoting red wine. So. At the beginning of this statement, you guys said that you just went to Spain, and now you throw in Hawaii, Singapore. Indonesia, Australia. Uh, Come on. Well, you asked us where well, we went. Well, I back. thought you just went to back. I thought you back. went. I, okay, I'll take that. Anyway, let's get back to the book. I love the organization of this book. When you look at a particular varietal, like I'm, I'm sitting here staring at Malbec, you've got a lot of sidebars that are just terrific. The first one is in the glass. The second is what you should know. Food pairings and then recommended wines by name.
name. And what a great organization. And then you go on and then you write about the, the wine. Who's the book for, do you think? I think that the book actually, it hits a number of different people because it, it, you're going to start with wine lovers at any level, whether they're people who are just getting into wine or people who, who know a bit about wine. Because you do have those easy infographics and those easy little sound bites in the book to kind of teach people a little bit about wine. But it's also a lot of wine professionals. A number of our friends who are in the business, you know, who write about wine or who work in the business are also looking at it because it is introducing them to some of the more obscure varieties that they hadn't heard of or some of the places. not familiar with. Yeah. Right. And some of the places in the world, some of the better known varieties are also grown. You know, if you look at Malbec, everybody knows it as being like, you know, Mendoza, Argentina. Right. We start in the home country. We start writing about it in France and it's Calais, France, which is south of Bordeaux, is known as the home of Malbec. It, you know, it, it, it was brought to Argentina by um, people who were, st- you know, starting to grow grapevines there in the 1850s. It's also grown in California, in Washington State, in Australia. You know, it grows all over the world now. So, you know, it, it's it's good for anyone, anybody who drinks wine, and but also a lot of professionals have told us that they appreciate it as a reference. It's really, really easy to wrap your arms around the information, but at the same time, you don't dumb things down. And right. so I well, think I think you. different people are going to look at it different ways, I think. The professional is going to is going to pick out things in here that's really going to benefit them. And for the beginner, they could actually literally just look at the infographics and get a lot out of it. Well, thank you, David, because that's, that's what I was just going to say. You know, Mike, you asked him a question and he rambled on for five minutes about <laughs> Malbec. Only and three and a half. It, it, was, it, 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 it was actually... It was actually three minutes and, and uh, 27 seconds. I'm, right. lo- I'm looking at the screen here. Yeah. But, but I wanted, I just wanted to say a little bit more succinctly, perhaps, that our book is really for anyone who likes red wine. So I want somebody who likes to drink red wine, and even if they only drink two buck chuck, I want them to be able to pick up the book and say, you know, I drink two buck chuck Cabernet Sauvignon, but boy, there's a Merlot on the shelf, and there's a Pinot Noir. I want to try those. So we want people to experiment, but I also want somebody to walk into a wine shop or, or a book shop and say, oh, wow, my dad drinks or my mom drinks red wine. Let me buy this book for them. But again, we also want the wine professional as, you know, some of our friends, sommeliers in Chicago are using the book as a, as a reference guide, as a teaching tool. We want, you know, anywhere from the, and thank you for, for mentioning that's Did how we... Did you say you were going to be succinct, was, by I, the way? I'm just checking. Yeah. Well, actually, my, my, my <laughs> thought was finished, period. <laughs> so I wanted to now go into thanking David for recognizing that because obviously you are a very astute scholar of wine and you're somebody who is in the world of wine and you sell wine and you talk about it daily and, and, and thanks for your, your commentary because we want it to be easy for people. Well, to I, I don't consider myself a wine scholar, first of all, and I, I make no bones about it when I... But you When I'm on the air, you know, my job is really to teach people how to have fun with wine. And so when I'm talking to people, I'm talking to them about how they can get instant gratification, right. get the most out of their wine lifestyle experience. And I think you guys, I've, I mean, I've watched you in action, and you guys are just as good as it gets. Well, thank you. You're, that's really nice. And we just want, you know, one of the things that we really do is we enjoy wine, we enjoy the lifestyle wine, and we want to spread that joy. So that's what we're all about. Let's uh, get a little bit further into the book. I really appreciate the phonetic pronunciation of the varietals. 
because oh. there are a lot of people who literally will not order a wine because they can't pronounce it. They're going to a true. wine bar, true. you know, they, they, they can't pronounce it, so they're going to order Merlot. No, I mean Pinot, right? <laughs> there you go. Which could be pronounced Peanut or Merlot. Or <laughs> Merlot, know, to, yeah. You have to even have like a passing knowledge and, and of don't, French. Don't forget, for those the, two. don't forget the noir part. It could be noir, it could be noir. 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 Pinot yeah. noir. So I'm talking to one of my executive producers yesterday, and we were talking about this interview, and we got onto the subject of the book and the title of the book, and he says, now wait a second. He says, I only drink white wine. Where's the white wine book? Oh. Now, I'm con- so, now he was really concerned that you were totally dissing white wine. No, well, David, um, we do want you to know that we've just uh, talked to our uh, publisher, and we are writing the, the sequel to Red Wine is White Wine. That is it fantastic. Wait till I wait till I call him and tell him that you guys took his advice. <laughs> yes. We we took his we advice. Took your producer's advice. And even though we signed the contract a couple uh, weeks ago, yes, we took his advice. This so. is how good a producer he is. I'm telling he's you. Amazing. I mean, he's, he's a, the best. A clairvoyant, perhaps. But he would tell you that the white wine book should have come out first. But I, he but you but you did it in an I, order of importance, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't make a difference. People, I mean, you know, here's the deal. I love white wine. I love red wine. I love rosé wine. I love sparkling wine. But, you know, most people who are really into wine and wine collectors uh, are, you know, very, very specific about their red wine. So we talked to our publisher about it. We decided to write red wine first. And then, you know, there are a lot of white grapes out there. But a lot of people know Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, period. You know, we're going to be talking about Gewürztraminer, Riesling, uh, Gracia. Albarino. Albarino. Yeah, Gra- from uh, Croatia. You know, we're talking about all these wonderful, wonderful white grape varieties that, that are really, really make super, super wine. So we definitely uh, are, are on that. So tell your producer thank you. He will try to collect a commission, by the way. Okay, okay. Yeah. Send it to me and I'll forward it. In fact, uh, make it out to me and then I'll just convert it to cash and hand it to him, okay? Yeah, I'll make it easy. Just contact our agent. All right. Hey, okay. talking to the World Wine Guys, Mike DeSimone and Jeff Jensen, two fabulous guys. You guys, if, if, you, if you're into wine, but let's put it this way, if you're into wine, you know these guys. They write for Wine Enthusiast magazine. Do you guys still write for Wine Spectator, or that's in the past now? That's in no, the that, past. That's yeah. in the past. You can actually, um, and we found this out. You know, you can only really write for one. So. Yeah, they're com- they're 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 like fierce competitors. I think. Yes, they are. Okay. So, yep. Well, anyway, uh, we're talking about the book Red Wine: The Comprehensive Guide to the Fifty Essential Varieties and Styles. Literally, the book comes out and. Two weeks later, it wins the best wine book in America. That's crazy. And it's going to be the best wine book in the world. We're going to talk more with uh, my friends uh, Mike and Jeff in just a second on Grape Encounters Radio. time were any animals harmed during the making of today's show. However, countless grapes were crushed and mutilated. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages.
there's a lot of counterfeiting going on in the wine world these days. But you can't fake a true grape encounter. Back with a real McCoy is David Wilson with a story you are sure to enjoy. Back with Grape Encounters Radio. I'll tell you what, I've got guests on today that are on for one really incredibly important reason. They can introduce me to Martha Stewart. It's Mike DeSimone and Jeff Jensen, the World Wine Guys. You guys have been on Martha Stewart. I can't believe that's hard. How about Oprah? Not yet. You're, wor- you're working on it, though. I can tell. Could be. It's always a possibility. I want to go back to, uh, to something that we were talking about when we went to break, which is the white wine book for a second. There's something that kind of passed through my head the other day that I hadn't really thought much about. It's the idea that there seems to be a very distinct separation with most people between red and white. It's like, you know, Dodgers versus, you know, the San Francisco Giants or, you know, people segregate themselves unnecessarily, I believe, into those classifications. How do we get more people to diversify? Because, I, you know, I really, I think people think there's this tremendous difference between white and red when in reality there really is in the truth of the matter is, many, many people drink both. And I think especially if you go out, you know, if you go, I go to any tasting dinner or pairing dinner, you know, you're in general, you're going to start with the lighter wines, you're going to start with the whites, and then you're going to move into the reds. And I really think, the, you know, sometimes the way that we can, uh, can kind of like break down barriers is by continuing to do what we do. You know, you continue yeah. to talk to people, you know, about wine, and we continue to write about wine and host wine tastings and, and even personally one-on-one just when you know if you're at a party and somebody says like oh I only drink red wine sometimes there are some people that you that you just that for whatever reason their mind won't be changed but otherwise you can you know you can say to somebody hey you know what there's a great white wine over here can I can I pour you a glass let me know what you think but I think what happens is is that you know is first introduced to something like a, a Chateau Saint Michel uh, you know Riesling and they love that sweetness which I like it you know what I'll drink that that's delicious it's got its place then they're introduced to an $8 red wine, which in general, the chances of getting a great bottle for eight, the chances are very slim to none. So they immediately say, I don't like red wine when there are in fact 50 red wines, count them, in the book Red Wine that you can try. And and they're radically different when you go from certain ones to other ones. I mean, there are some that are similar. What's really cool is that in your book, if you look at the infographic, you can compare wines and probably get a good sense of, if I like this, I'll like that. I do believe that that is true. Also, I think that one of the things that can really help people is the availability of by-the-glass selection because you're not, you know, if you're going out to dinner, you're going to a wine bar, you're not investing in an entire bottle of wine. It's not like, oh, we've got to spend $78 on this thing and what if I don't like it? You can spend, you know, $9 or $10 or $12 and have a glass of wine. You know what? If you like it, great. You found something new that you can add, you know, to your roster of what you like to drink regularly. And if you don't like it, you're not really out that much. You tried it and try something new the next time. We owe a huge debt of gratitude to Greg Lembrecht, who invented the Coravin, and the folks who put together the Enomatic machines, which are are both argon-based systems that allow us now to have great wines by the glass that we could never have by the glass before because of spoilage issues. And and this has only happened in recent years. I mean, this is relatively new. So if you haven't been to wine bars, and I'm talking about wine bars that sell a lot of different wines, you should go. You'll probably 
certainly see that they've got a system like that in place, which will allow you to drink. I mean, you want to you want to taste a hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine? They'll probably have one there for you, but you won't have to pay one hundred and fifty bucks for a glass. And it gives you that opportunity. And then you could decide whether you need to get a new job to pay for your new hundred dollar one hundred and fifty dollar habit. So exactly right. All right, but, so, and you know, and those and the, you know the Coravan and the pneumatic systems being able to order an expensive um, an expensive wine by the glass is also great if you're out with someone who, for some reason, you know, a lot of people this time of year are going through cleanses and fasts. So they're, they're not drinking alcohol. If someone's, you know, on a medication or if your spouse or a friend is, is pregnant and can't drink whatever, you can still have the wine that you really want to have and just buy one glass and not feel that you're drinking something that you don't want because you don't want to waste money on a bottle that's not going to get is, finished. Did you know, by the way, that the reason that the Coravin was invented is because Greg Lemberg, who invented it, it was trying to solve the exact same problem you're talking about. His wife got pregnant and they used to share a bottle of wine all the time, and they couldn't when she got pregnant, and he was a medical devices inventor, and so he creates this device just to solve his own problem at home. I didn't know that. That's the truth. That he is the mother of invention. That is the truth. Okay, we just have a minute or so left. Let's talk about where to get this extraordinary book. The book is Red Wine, the Comprehensive Guide to the 50 Essential Varieties and Styles by my friends Mike DeSimone, Jeff Jensen, and uh, Kevin Zraley, who I have not met. Well, the book can be found... um, uh, online, Amazon has it. BarnesandNoble.com has it. Uh, it brick, also- brick and mortar uh, bookshops have it. I mean, walk into your local bookshop; they'll definitely have it, especially out there in California. And if people want to enjoy your wealth of knowledge in person. I know you guys do a lot of stuff out there. Is there a calendar of places where you guys are at? Somebody who wanted to hear more from you, you know, possibly they could go someplace and check you guys out. We have um, our website is um, worldwineguys.com and, you know, we do do a lot of public speaking for corporations, for wine regions. So um, we do list uh, events that we're going to be speaking at, but also if there's anybody out there who would like us to come speak, we're happy to to talk to you about it. Just email us through our website. You know, we, we do like to do some public speaking and dinners and hey if you're going to be in New York City and you want to just have a glass of wine email us as well you're saying that if if one of our listeners out there is going to be in New York they can just email you and you guys will just hook up with them if we're in town and they seem like they're nice people you know we could share a glass of wine absolutely okay when are you guys coming to California we were just there recently and um, we snuck in and out in in a couple days but then we we actually did a television uh, appearance on KGO in San Francisco and uh, the ABC affiliate and then uh, but it was quick. So but we, there, is, there is nothing, there is no trip to California on the immediate horizon. Unless, unless but, you but, invite us. But things change all the time. I will, so I will we, send we you. We may be knocking on your door and sharing a glass of wine with you before you know it. I will send you an engraved invitation. All right, guys. Perfect. That's You know what? I, I wish we could talk for hours. This was so much fun having you guys on. So thank you very much for being on. Mike DeSimone, Jeff Jensen, the World Wine Guys. You can just Google them. But they're ticklish. So Google them carefully. <laughs> And that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. We'll see you back here next week. I don't know if we're going to have the World Wine Guys on here, but it'll be somebody great. You can depend on that. We'll see you then. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.